A couple of weeks ago, we did our first five for five in 2024, and our guests were Adam and Erica. And you might remember that episode, they talked about the importance of reviews. They talked about, uh, well, something that really stood out to me, they talked about getting 80 to 90 leads for students each month. They also talked about using SEO to create a hiring funnel. A lot of good stuff in that episode. You should definitely go check it out. But as we usually do, we wanted to have them back on because as I was talking specifically to Adam in the lead up to that episode, he said something that was really interesting, a topic that I really haven't heard a lot of people talk about. Uh, you know, In our industry over the last five years, there has really been a embarrassment of riches in terms of the number of resources that have become available, just an explosion, an exponential explosion of podcasts and business support programs and coaches and things of that nature. And the topic we're going to talk about today, I really haven't heard anyone talk about. So Adam, Erica, I'm really excited for you all to be back. Um, so welcome. Hi, thanks for having us. Yeah. Yeah. So in getting started here, let's just do a very brief review. Tell us a little bit about Philadelphia Piano Institute. You know, the basic details, how long you've been in business, how many students, how many teachers, like, you know, just the the important details that set the context for everyone who's listening today? Well, uh, the Institute was established in 2020, right before the pandemic. Yay. (laughs) (laughs) So a big credit to my home piano studio students back then, because they kept us afloat. (laughs) They were the real ones. Um, And yeah, so we've been in business for three years. Uh, We've now we've got two storefronts in center city, Philadelphia, um, primarily offering classical piano lessons, but we've branched out now to voice and guitar as well. And, you know, we've got hopes and dreams and plans for more. Right now, we've got about 130 active students. Um, we have other offerings as well. So we just count the weekly students. So the yeah. teachers uh, at this point all offer in-person lessons. There's one teacher we have um, on our team who's only remote. Um, and so mm-hmm. just any online inquiries, we just give them to him. (laughs) And um, something that we have retained though, that I like personally is because of course, during the pandemic, we were primarily online, even though we were all like mostly local students. um, When that kind of pandemic, like considerations kind of fizzled out, um, you know, some of the teachers are cool going back and forth between in-person and online. So they do offer if a student is feeling under the weather, you know, or is like, I can't make it on time to my regular time in person. Can we hop online? Some of the teachers are cool with that. And I like that because, again, as a piano teacher myself in the past, I just wanted to prioritize the lesson. I was like, I don't really care where it's at. I just want to have our meeting and I just want to make sure you don't miss a beat, you know, week to week. So, um, yeah, that's that's primarily what we're what our teachers are doing. Something um, else to add is, is yeah. probably that some of them work more than others. Uh, yeah. You know, we have minimum hours that we like for people to offer if they want to join our team. Mm-hmm. However, you know, we've learned, and we just also knew this starting. You're safer as a business if your hours are distributed among more teachers, because of course people are going to come and go, and so yeah. we've definitely gotten comfortable with, you know, someone's very qualified. They have maybe a church job and another school job and they perform on Wednesdays and Thursdays, but they want to teach lessons on Friday or and Saturdays. And they're like, yeah, you know, we'll, we'll give you five hours. It's awesome. Mm-hmm. Um, and it rounds us out more. It gives us more diversity and mm-hmm. it also minimizes risk. So yeah, that's why 
you know, we have 130-ish, you know, regular weeklies. We have a lot of one-time lessons every month on mm-hmm. top of that. <clears throat> and we can facilitate all that with 10 teachers because, you know, it's not like they're all teaching 30 hours a week. <laughs> so we would have a lot more students than that if they were all full-time. Yeah. Sure. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, I want to, that, that's great. That really helps us the context. And that's where I kind of want to segue into what I think is the big topic of the hour here. And that is a comment that you made to me, Adam, and that, and I'm going to paraphrase, and I'm going to let you explain in a lot more detail, but essentially what I picked up from you was that you and Erica were trying to be invisible owners, I'll call them, Uh, I'll I'll use that terminology, that you didn't necessarily want to be the face or put yourselves really out front in the school. Do you feel like that's a fair characterization of what you said, or do you want to elaborate? I'd love to hear your thoughts on this. Yeah, this is a huge topic, right? Um, Yeah. But there's kind of this principle that the only very successful people get to be anonymous. I don't know. I think that would be nice. (laughs) But I also never wanted to have a personal brand-driven business because to me, and again, this is going to be, this is a big statement and uh, this is not my reality. This is just how I feel about it. I think using your personal brand as a business can sometimes be a crutch. And my whole business is my personal brand. So I'm very aware of that. And I, over time, I would like to remove myself very publicly. Like my whole life is on the internet, you know, and I, I don't want that to be the case. I don't know if I want to buy like a woodworking shop in the future or a landscaping business or something. But, you know, for us personally, we want to have a nice family life. We want the business to be 100% removed from us and stable and successful. And we don't want it to rely on us personally. As far as the long-term health of the business, we are very, from the day one, we've been trying to plan how can we make this not just doing well, but how can we make this very successful, but not right now? Like, how can we make this very successful in maybe 10 years and not need it today, not extract everything we can out of it today, not teach the lessons just to get a you know higher paycheck? How can we build this for the long term to maybe leave to our kids, maybe make it a teacher-owned studio in 20 years? Like, these are luxuries we have because this is a, a project for us. We're not both teaching piano lessons day in and day out. But we want it to be a standalone real business, not not profitable or paying Erica well because she's teaching 20 lessons in addition to doing the admin work. You know, that's a big noodling answer to this huge topic. Um, Let me chime in here. First of all, great to see you guys again. And uh, what I hear so far in our definition of invisible owner is it's very there are very personal motivations yeah it sort of reminds me of one of erica erica one of your comments in our the episode where we first Mm -hmm. met where you were like i need this business to i'm the i'm one of the lessons learned is i've i've learned that i need to take better care of myself Mm -hmm. and then i need to conserve some of that emotional energy and it sounds to me like um there's a lot of motivation here. I'm fascinated, Adam, by your comment, for example, of like my whole life's on the internet and I have a personal brand. I think, are you referencing just for our listeners so they understand? 
be specific. You're referencing sort of your the SEO side of your life. You're is that what you're referencing? Yeah, I have a couple of marketing businesses. It's all online. <laughs> okay, good. Like yeah, just so in case someone's chiming in, they yeah, understand. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, you just Google Adam Gingrich. No, no. <laughs> yeah. no doubt. It's there <laughs> because. So I'm curious, Erica, to go to you for a hot sure. second because this just to frame it. This has been one of the fascinating developments for me personally at BMF has been realizing that, um, and again, Erica, you spoke to this really nicely in that first episode around where you bring the most value, you know, to the Institute. But for me, I've discovered, you know, in many ways, I bring the most value in the classroom. And I'm oftentimes filming myself, which is oftentimes modeling for teachers, whether they're at BMF, whether they're around the world that are licensing what we do, you know, that kind of thing. But I'm also modeling for parents because all those videos are going out for parents, mm. yeah. right? But what's fascinating to me is that I love it. And so I've been thinking often like you guys around how should I be compensated for doing what? Yes. Right? So I'm curious for you, Erica, follow up question on this invisible owner, like, um, what are you currently journaling about someday, maybe, in terms of what your role would be at the company and where you would be most energized? Well, ideally for me, <laughs> um, I would really love to, you know, again, these are just, these are not formulated yet. These are just thoughts and dreams. But my idea is to be some sort of director of pedagogy. And all I do is, interact with the instructors, um, primarily piano, because that's my expertise. But there's a lot of overlap, obviously, because there's just a lot of psychology involved, a lot of just like understanding um, learning styles and like um, you know, learning behaviors. And then, of course, there's just so many other branches we go out into. But um, that's, that's always what I really enjoyed. And I had the opportunity in my graduate program to not train teachers, but I had a sort of like leadership role um, with my colleagues. And so then my supervisor, she definitely kind of treated me where she was like, that's where I learned where she, she <laughs> we were putting on an event for a lot of our students, uh, me with the, my colleagues. And I was having a meeting just me with my supervisor. And I was telling her all the things that we need to do. And, you know, I've got this and this and this and this is on this list. And she was like, okay, how are you going to delegate that? And I was like, well, I can do it. It's okay. I can do it. She was like, no, not as a leader. She's like, you got to delegate. That's your job. I was like, oh, it's like, well, mm. okay. So when I took on that mentality and then I started doing that, I found true enjoyment in like a different role instead of just like doing everything. It was really nice to like have a team and be able to appreciate my teammates for their expertise as well. And of course, someone has to at the top in the sense that someone has to organize and then say, all right, here's what we're doing and delegate it all. But it's not because they're like better than the rest. So I just like when I had, when she brought that to my attention and just kind of like shifted my mentality. And so that's the sort of thing that I would love to be able to create with the Institute, because that's the sort of job that I think is maybe it's not hard to find, but I think it's hard to find. Um, and the joy of having your own business is being able to create things that you have in mind. So I would love for me as an invisible owner is to just kind of have someone else doing what I currently do and more so that I can just be on this other side 
handling the pedagogy and just kind of being there for the instructors. Again, I call the teachers instructors. It's just a branding thing. But so they can just check in with me and just either talk shop or bring questions. Because again, like, um, I don't remember when we mentioned this at one point, it was just me and Adam before we said hi to you guys. But the teachers are artist teachers. And so they don't all have pedagogy or educational degrees. They've got performance degrees, but they have a lot of teaching experience and they're really hungry to learn how to teach well. And they just want to like share it with people. So that's what I want to fulfill ideally as the invisible. Well, what strikes me and uh, and then I'm going to pick it back to Daniel is that um, when we hear invisible owner, I think there's oftentimes the e-myth idea. Hmm. Actually, I'm going to create a franchise that's replicable everywhere. But you're not taking yourself out of the business at all. You're actually in one of the most profound positions. You're you're a trainer. Right? You're saying, no, I don't want to be invisible. I want to touch all these people that are delivering on promise in the studio. So this is fascinating, like, because I think um, you know, uh, we want we as owners. A, need to be open and honor that our desires will shift over the life of our company, right? And B, that when we are energized in a certain role, we are going to actually um, increase the velocity of growth the sooner we get ourselves into that role. And this is one of those motivations for putting in the extra hours to actually systemize, operationalize, and get people into that admin role you guys were talking about um, in the first episode when we first met, right? I don't care if people know I own it. Like, I don't, that's not the point for me. The point is to create a, to create something that has been needed. (laughs) Yes, that's (laughs) the amen to that, because there's plenty of, um, yeah, what's the purpose of putting in all that sweat equity that creative energy and all your expertise if you're just going to design something that's not of benefit. We want to be invisible to clients. That's another good way to put it. You know, I think perhaps the philosophy switch for us recently is our clients are the the teaching staff. And we are, we serve them to a certain degree. You know, everything I do is to get them students. Everything Erica does is to... (laughs) is to keep the teachers happy and retain their students. Mm-hmm. The students don't need to know who we are. Yeah. You know, and while those are perhaps the most fundamental skills in the business, you know, for a future acquisition or for us to fill our roles with new people in the future and us completely remove ourselves, we don't it makes that easier if our names are not attached to it whatsoever. The teachers say someone gets hired and they hear from the hiring manager, it's like, oh, and then you'll get to meet with Erica at some point. <laughs> you know, then they get access to Erica after they're on board. You know, like Erica's time is a valuable commodity being chewed up by a lot of nonsense questions all day, every day. That's something we're trying to fix very soon. My life looks very different yeah. right now. It feels like nonsense to me. But, um, they are valid. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Perhaps that's a better way to frame the invisible. That's a cool perspective. Daniel, well, what do you got? Yeah, the nonsense the nonsense comment I, I really resonate with because I think as owners, you try to, I love that you love this, Erica. You try to put a layer between you 
and what I'll call the nonsense so that you can stay high level and focus on the things that ultimately drive the business forward. It honestly doesn't make sense for a studio owner to be answering the same question day after day about policies. Again, to reference what you said last time, it doesn't make a lot of sense for the owner for their time to be uh, their time and emotional energy to be used on, you know, having runway level conversations with clients. So I, I totally and completely resonate with that. And I think the, just to follow up with what you said there, Adam, I'm curious what you all would say, and this is really just an extension of what was just said. I'm not changing the subject. I actually want to get a little more granular. What do you view as the difference between being that invisible owner and how you would have operated things on a day-to-day or week-to-week basis versus what you were doing before. You already gave a couple examples. Like, So for instance, we want, we want the clients to be our teachers and then the teachers serve the students. Like that is a great example. Are there any other examples that come to mind where you're thinking like, yeah, this is, this is the way that we're choosing to run things now operationally that is kind of a, a difference between what the rest of the industry is doing or what we were doing before. Does anything else come to mind? Well, I mean, first, I don't, you know, feel free to jump in. The first thing that comes to my mind, something that's very tangible for us was um, when we were a smaller business, I was able to handle all the inquiries and like the student, like the leads all over email. Um, but as we got, bigger, but not bigger, but just more visible, <laughs> both online and in person, because we had two locations now, um, we were realizing that we were actually losing potential business because our um, our system wasn't prioritizing the phone line. <laughs> so we had a phone number, but um, like just the way that people were directed online to get in touch was just really email. Um, and then some people did want to reach out via phone, but again, it just wasn't a part of my operating system. So then it just wasn't as prioritized as emails. Emails were like instant. It was like, you know, moving through, but the phone calls, not as much. And that was falling on me. But then we, you know, Adam, uh, added something online so that people can, um, they can, book a phone call appointment with me, which works very well for my personal life. (laughs) Um, I really needed to have, you know, an hour to two hours a day where I could just talk with someone because we found that actually my style of talking with people, um, they, they sign pretty quick. (laughs) if They talk with me on the phone. So, um, Mm. and they, they seem like they're pretty much already sold. They just need their specific questions answered. Um, and again, I don't know why, but that's just was our experience. So as of lately, that was a change that we made was um, it's kind of half and half now, but like have people booking their phone call appointments in my calendar. And then I'm able to you know call them and we have like a little window, 15, 20 minutes for conversation. And it's just, you know, when they see it online, they see it as a general informational call. They don't know who they're going to speak with but it's always me. And so then when they eventually find out, oh, and you're the owner, oh, and then they, you know, it's just kind of a nice little personal conversation. We're able to lock in, you know, that one-time lesson that they want. We don't do trial lessons. Um, we call them one-time lessons and, um, or lock them in for their weekly lesson. So. Well, and then obviously uh, neither of us teach in the business. No. So oh, yeah. Yeah. I think. Well, I did. 
Erica was for a while. And that's kind of the first big shift that happens, yeah, right? That's right. Like I work with a lot of people in the industry who are managing teachers, but then also maintaining their own personal studio within the business. Right. And it's tough because, you know, when do you let go of that income? And for a lot of people, that's their job, you know? Mm-hmm. So do you enter the black hole of not making money for a little while? Or were you paying yourself very modest salary from your personal studio, which, you know, most people, the studio revenue is their income. So that's a very tough, you know, thing to go through. And then you think, oh, well, I only need a hundred more students and like five teachers. So we'll be back up to where we were very soon. Well, you know, it's a lot harder than we gave it credit for and perhaps what a lot of people give it credit for. So removing yourself from the teaching responsibilities is the first one. And then removing yourself from the admin one is what we are doing next. And uh, mm. check back in and let you know how that goes. Maybe we should also specify that all of our admins remote. We don't have anyone sitting in the studio locations. So we don't have like an office person there. We don't have an office or a desk. So that's also interesting. Different. Well, that was an intentional choice. Mm. We were not in agreement on that, but Adam really pushed that. And I was okay with it because I was like, well, if I'm going to be the office person... I don't want to go there every day. <laughs> so we made it work. How, how did you make that work? Because I do think the common wisdom is once you get over a certain number of students, you have to have a desk person. Otherwise, the owner inadvertently gets drawn into that day-to-day low-level stuff. So how is that working out? I'd love for you to share. Well, I mean, one is all of the policies are very clearly outlined and we make that clear. Um, Mm-hmm. Erica has templates she wheels and deals with frequently to answer questions as well as direct people back to the right place. But our teachers are also on board with, you know, the doors to the storefront are locked. It's very, we make it very clear that it's appointments only. Um, and in a way that makes it more boutique, you know, it's only mm-hmm. students have access to the space. They arrive at their time. The teachers let them in and greet them at the door. Um, and, you know, we, we try to take care of the teaching artists. It's not just, it's not the same pay rate as other local schools and stuff like that. But we chose to prioritize giving our teachers just the tiniest bit more responsibility and then also trying to comp- compensate them for that slightly bigger responsibility as far as welcoming students into the space and such. Um, and yeah, I mean, it's worked for us. I think... If we have to, at some point, decide to consolidate our square footage into one large space rather than continuing to open new storefronts, then we would have on-site staff. Um, but right now, they're pretty intimate spaces. They're, they're small storefronts. Mm-hmm. They're retail stores that we just built out to have some studios inside. And it works very nicely and it keeps operating costs lower. Um, I don't know. It's... It's, it's worse in Philly. It's different. Yeah. I don't yeah. think that would work for everybody. I, yeah. In Center City, yeah. Let me clarify a couple things for our listeners too that's that are that's important here. And then I have one follow-up question. I was I love what you're offering as your product suite is guitar. I mean, sorry, piano is the core. Mm-hmm. And then you added voice and guitar. Mm-hmm. And it's really important to notice what's missing. Drums, which totally changes your commercial real estate search. We can't do that. Right. And that's really important for our listeners to understand because we have a lot of programs that are songwriting band programs. 
and we have programs that where they need to be able to make a lot of noise. And so that's an important disting distinguisher, sure. right? The second thing is, and I would follow up to ask, so I show up with my three kids, one of whom has an hour-long piano lesson. It, where do I go? Well, we do have a couple waiting rooms. We've got a waiting room per um, studio. But honestly, on the same block, there's a coffee shop, there's a restaurant, there's a bookstore. So again, that was kind of another one of our thinkings is that like in Center City and in the neighborhoods that we chose, super residential. So a lot of people live right around the corner. It's just they right. run from their home and they go right back. Even some of the kids just walk there and walk back to their house. They're that close. But also there's a lot of entertainment, which really actually got us through the pandemic as well. Because again, people didn't have to wait around. Like, um, so that's right, kind of go do things. unique. I feel like maybe to where we are, maybe not in New York. I mean, <laughs> that would also be well, similar. Well, and let me just frame this because Daniel and I are huge on numbers. Financial fluency is one of the foundational principles that we try to share here on the podcast. And just to frame what you guys, the choices you made, you said, hey, we're going to take that desk person line item off the budget. We're going to remove square footage from a waiting room. So, so that changes uh, your inventory. And so, but we're going to spend more on rent. We're going to increase our rent line on the budget so that we can be in Center City, which I'm, I'm familiar with and feels very Brooklyn-y, you know, like, um, so we're going to make sure we're close. We're in a zone where that's highly residential, where there's going to be a lot of opportunities for, for parents to go take care of other things. So just so our listeners understand, you can move money around your budget strategically, just like Adam and Erica have chosen to do. Whether or not, I'm curious, was that part of the conversation when you chose your storefront? 100%. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Uh, so I love it. I love it, love it, love it. It was also a little bit catered towards our skill set, right? Um, we mm, Nice. Some people I know are wildly successful in the suburbs. Mm. You know, I don't understand the suburbs. We just moved out of the city a month ago, and I'm trying to learn how this works. And um, mm. but like, <laughs> I knew I know Philadelphia very well, um, and I know SEO very well. Erica is an artist that understands that community very well. So we just doubled down on the neighborhoods that we knew and loved, and we knew where people are moving for school. We knew that there are a lot of affluent adults taking yes. music lessons, and like, you see the if you see the fitness studios filling up. Those people are probably also taking music lessons and all this stuff. So we took things that we literally knew. Mm -hmm. And then we retrofit that into how it would work mm -hmm. in that place where we knew. We were in a place where it's very dense, so we know there are tons of leads. I can get those leads. Mm -hmm. um, we knew there were both young professionals and kids. They both work for us. We know that they highly value local businesses, the arts, and want to like go to this coffee shop, this small organic grocery store, the Philadelphia Piano Institute that... And we keep finding, like, we found a news article a couple months ago. One of our students apparently is somewhat famous and just, like, mentioned that they were taking lessons. And it's, like, these very fascinating people in yeah. the area. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so we did that. And we do have waiting space, but it's not big. It's, no. And we were, like, we can put another studio room in here or we can build out a waiting area. We were, like, we're definitely putting in another studio. Yeah. You know? right. And there is room for people to be. But like you said, we, we save budget for locations that matter to us, better pianos, 
is something that was very important to us. Um, spent a lot of money on cameras. And, um, well, yeah. and outfitting the spaces. Because again, we really prioritize the instructors. Um, and so wanted to create an environment that they wanted to work at. Um, and that was also on brand, right? Um, you know, we're primarily classical music, but also just mm. the philosophy is that music's a language. So like, we're not opposed to other genres. It's just that these instruments definitely lend themselves towards classical music. But I mean, honestly, lots mm. of people, they, they want to play all sorts of stuff. But but yeah, I mean, it's um, definitely made those decisions because we were, of course, thinking of the clientele because it's going to keep the business alive. But the instructors too, because without them, we don't, we can't have this, <laughs> the students. So we definitely did right. make some financial decisions thinking about them. And it's been really nice whenever we bring on a new teacher and they just kind of, you know, when I do my onboarding training meeting with them, they, uh, they, I usually hear at some point in the, in our conversation, their comment, wow, this is a nice studio. <laughs> and we didn't, we really prioritize the instruments. So baby grand pianos and the one that is not a baby grand is, um, a hybrid Yamaha upright. Um, I really like those. It's really great instruments. And that's used for our voice lessons primarily. So, um, yeah, it's been, it's been nice. It's very minimal sort of aesthetic, but, um, you know, just an effort to not be distracting because we do work with kids and adults. So I wanted to keep something that just felt like light, modern, um, kind of minimal and definitely just like music focused. And what I think mm. is awesome is that, uh, Adam's created a website and it looks like when you land on our website, and then you go to the store, it's cohesive. I love that. Mm, that's huge. I would just, just in listening to everything that's been said over the last 10 minutes, I think, and I'm just going to point this out, that I listen to the feedback from a lot of people who listen to the podcast. And a trend I've noticed is that we'll have a guest on and the guest talks about what they're doing or the way in which they're doing it. And it might not even be that outrageous or outlandish. Like what you all have talked about here today, you've made a specific set of decisions. You've created a certain kind of culture and it really is in line with who you are as people, what your strengths are. But what I've noticed is that people then kind of, I'll get a, 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 a flurry of emails. Oh, do you think I should do it the way they're doing it? And this has to do with like yeah. Caitlin, who we had on before, Vera, who we had on before, yeah. Brian, who we had on before. And this is the this is the point I want to make to everyone listening right now. We're going to keep having awesome guests on. We had Jeff last year, uh, you know, and, and all the other folks I've just mentioned. Uh, we had Brady on, who owns Eleven Studios out in Utah. If you if you look beyond the techniques and the tactics that all of these awesome people have been saying, what you'll see are people who are really familiar and comfortable with the way that they want to do things and that they have, and I'm just going to say it, they have the vision and the guts to stick to their guns on the kind of business that they want to build. Yeah. And I think the larger point that I would say here to everyone is that you probably can make just about anything work. Like I've been in this for so long now. I literally have clients right now when they told me their big idea, even, even I, the guy whom like, oh yeah, 
anything goes. Even I was like scratching my head and thinking, I don't know if this person can make this work. And then boom, they do it. You know, of course I'm the coach. I'm the one who's supposed to be like endlessly and relentlessly positive, but uh, you know, and even I'm like thinking, Hmm, this is kind of a, a you, you really want to charge $700 a month to, to teach adult amateurs piano. I don't know if that's going to work yet. I've got a client right now who's doing exactly that and very successful at it. Um, mm. And, and so I just want to say that if you're hearing this and because what I know is true, because I experienced this myself 10 years ago when I first started listening to podcasts like this, I would hear an idea and be like, oh, that's it. That's the ticket to being successful. I just got to go do that. And then I would listen to the next episode and they had a different guest on. I'd be like, oh, that's it. That's the ticket to be successful. I just got to go doing that. No, here's the ticket to being successful. Get really, really clear on the vision and get really, really comfortable with who you are as a person, the strengths that you have, and then build a business that only you could build. That's the hack. Yeah. You know, Daniel, uh, you want to know the, where we spend the most money at BMF? On our community room. It's literally the polar mm. opposite design <laughs> yeah. of their institute. This is so huge. I mean, yes. and, and, and yet I'm totally inspired by your vision. <laughs> but, so, Nate, but Nate, you're not going to be sitting journaling later today being like, oh, should we get rid of our community room? Like apparently yeah. Adam and Erica are really successful without a, a receptionist. No, no, no Nate's not going to do that. Nate knows who he is. <laughs> and not only that, we've just up increased our desk person budget. And now we're hiring two people a day to be at the desk, not one. Wow. <laughs> and they're playing games in the community room, writing speed songs. They're our first call sub. Like it's just totally in line with our vision as a songwriting school. However, it's just couldn't be more yeah. different yeah. in terms of application of vision. Back to your point, Daniel. Yeah, they're which both is just right. like, yeah, yeah, yeah. You, it, it's the application piece. And it, it, anyways, go on, Daniel. Where, where you at? I love that. I love that addition. Well, I actually want to see if Adam and Eric have any response to that. Anything I said there, not to put yeah. you on the spot. Well, first of all, I would say, you know, Nate, you are way ahead of us yeah. as far as establishing your vision and we feel like we're babies yeah you know like erica is a world-class piano teacher and i am a world-class marketer and we are figuring out how to build a music school aligned with our goals and values and we've yeah. done some very interesting things in a short period of time but again and as somebody who also listens to stuff no one ever talks about what really matters like are you getting paid well you know, what is your quality yes. of life? And it's like, if I can tell you the amount of times I have people telling me, oh, their business made a million bucks. I'm like, dude, I do not care. Like, what right. do you, <laughs> I don't care about like, the scale. I, yeah, it, because anyone who runs a small business knows pe a lot of people do it because you get social cred, right? Anybody meets a chef, oh, they're mm -hmm. the coolest person in the room. What they don't tell you is they're broke and sleep two hours a night, you know? <laughs> Um, and it's very often the same with every other kind of small business in, in center city, you know, people do it because they're passionate about it. And sometimes it hits, sometimes it doesn't, but with music schools mm. in the music school culture, you know, Daniel referenced his one client. I think I know who you're talking about who makes, who does very successfully, uh, teaching by himself, his own private studio. And he convinces people to spend a tremendous amount of money on, on piano lessons. And that's awesome. And he actually delivers a very cool product for that yes. money, which is, you know, yeah. obviously <laughs> you have to deliver. Um, yeah. We have our own specific vision. 
and it requires a significant amount of a significant amount of scale. That's not going to work everywhere. We live in a place that's mm. very dense, uh, yes. tons of demand mm-hmm. for what we do, and also a good pipeline of artists moving into the city. It requires yes. all of these things to happen, as well as an interesting wrinkle is, is relatively reasonable rent. Like um, mm. in Manhattan, I would have to get investors for this. Like we've bootstrapped everything, mm. um, which is tough. But you know, somewhere else, if rent was a hundred bucks a square foot a year or three hundred, you know, that would be a different equation. Where we are at our budget level, and we can make it work. Mm-hmm. Um, mm. So I would just say, you know, <laughs> people who are looking to make big changes. Think about: Do I want to have nine hundred students? Because realize your salary might not actually be that amazing. First of all, like you could. Unless that's what you really want and believe in and love, don't do that because you can make a lot more money in less time doing a more normal career. Um, unless you have a very special, highly profitable business model. So I think probably that should be talked about more. Five years from now, I, I will be much more open about everything and I'll probably write a book. <laughs> we'll probably have a lot to say about like, sure. should you do this? Should you just maintain your private studio? I get people asking me, I want to go from teaching my private studio to opening a storefront. I read your blog about how to open a storefront for a music school. Like, and sometimes I ask them these hard questions and the answer is no, you shouldn't do that. You know, where I have people who are mm. passive investors call me and they say, I want to open a music school as an investment strategy. I'm like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, that's not like, funny. <laughs> like, do you, do you teach? Do you have an inside pipeline on hiring? Do you know anything about the industry? Um, how long are you willing to wait? How many people live in your city? And it's like, no, 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 no. And, and so it's a hard industry. Yeah. Um, and I think, I think it bears asking harder questions before you start to make big business decisions accordingly. You know, like everything's probably harder than it looks, generally speaking. But if, like Daniel said, if you have a very specific vision, you will make that happen yeah. and it'll be fine. But if you don't, don't just follow what other people are doing, because, again, you don't know what their life really looks like. Um, <laughs> and that kid, that would probably sway your opinion one way or another. Well, that was another thing for us was that, like, we before we embarked on this, we talked about what do we want our life to look like? Because we definitely knew, like, OK, being entrepreneurs, like, that's not just a nothing thing. <laughs> So even though I mentioned, I think it was in our last uh, conversation that, um, you know, I kind of went through periods where I, oh, reality hit and I didn't realize what this was going to be. I had an idea beforehand. It just is different once you finally experience it. But yeah, we definitely okay. asked ourselves a lot of questions because we could have just kept doing my home piano studio, which was lovely. That was a really wonderful era. <laughs> But, you know, as we were like, okay, our life will definitely be, you know, there will be some changes in our personal life. This might, and there were already some changes in my home studio. Like the, there was just so many more leads. I couldn't take them on, but I have, I wanted to, my teacher heart wanted to. So that's where this all kind of just came together. But yeah, before actually even forming the business, we asked ourselves a lot of these hard questions too. So it wasn't, you know, it's, yeah, it's definitely, it's, it's a big thing to embark on. 
Um, I think the music industry is so like enticing to people because music is obviously it's wonderful, but then, you know, I'll be the business owner in the music industry. Like it's just, um, it's definitely been something, um, just a a lot bigger than at least I was, uh, had any sort of awareness about. Um, but it's definitely rewarding. Uh, definitely a lot. (laughs) Can we circle it back to just to bring this sucker home? Daniel, I, was, I, I wanted to bring it back to the invisible owner topic at hand. And I wanted to quote you, Adam, in terms of one of your intake interviews, questions that you have with a client that says, I want to open it. I love the passive investor one, by the way. <laughs> How long are you willing to wait is one of the questions you ask. That's a good way to qualify whether or not this is a lead. And they're like, I could wait a year. You're like, um, this, isn't, this isn't the right year. So how long are you two willing to wait to develop a business that, make, that allows for you two to be invisible as you define it? How long are you two willing to wait? Wait's not as probably impactful a word as work. Yeah. How long are you two willing to work? Yeah. <laughs> it's a good question. It's an ongoing conversation. <laughs> it is. We talk about this a lot. And I think what we keep coming back to is, did we make meaningful progress towards this goal? Because I've tried yes. to reframe a lot of how I work away from goals because I always set bad goals and limit myself. Whenever I set a goal, right. I realize all it did was hold me back rather than help me accomplish something bigger. So that's a different conversation. But we've kind of come yeah. to looking at processes more and we kind of talked about what do we do this month or this year that is going to help us get towards this to make meaningful progress. Did we get better at hiring? Did we carve out more tasks for an administrative, a full-time, well-salaried administrative role? Did we get closer? Mm-hmm. And we kind of start to realize we're closer than we think. We might be a year or two away from this. And I think mm-hmm. that it, it's, this is why I hinted at this earlier. It's extremely important to consider your goals and what you want from it. Like that might sound like, oh, you're about to make it. It's like, yeah, because we're not trying to extract all of the income out of the business. Mm -hmm. This is a standalone entity as an investment for us, right? Mm -hmm. If this was a primary income source, it would look different. Mm -hmm. You know, I think it would be seven years from now before this would be our full time personal income. And that would be satisfactory. I, I realistically think it would take one or two nice. more locations and it would probably be five to seven more years from now. Mm. Now, if that doesn't mean that's because we don't want to be doing the work for the next five to seven years, mm-hmm. it's going to take longer to reach that amount of, you know, I guess net profit from scaling and reinvesting and hiring. That is going to be the work for the next five to seven years. Right. Not Erica teaching lessons, you know, not, answering the emails. So does that clarify or answer the question? I loved, I, I'm frankly, Adam, I'm impressed that you even have a timeline that's as specific as seven years. <laughs> and that last little, uh, you kind of sped through that last comment, but I think it's so, so important. You said we could get there faster if we were willing to work in our business in a different role at a higher Volume, well, we would be right? there More now. hours in the classroom, yeah. but you're saying, yeah, but you're saying no. Instead, we're gonna we're willing to wait five to yeah. seven years. Correct me if I'm wrong in the, in my interpretation, but we're willing to wait five to seven years because instead we're gonna reallocate resources into new roles that we're hiring to 
onboarding those roles rather than extract that money and, you know, go on a month long getaway yeah. or whatever you would do with the money, put it in the college fund for the kids, <laughs> you know? So I, I think that that's really, really that little nuanced piece right there. That's frankly, that's a much more mature view on um, growth of a business that oftentimes uh, someone who's only a year to three years into their entrepreneurial life would have. So it's worth highlighting and repeating and, that's a whole nother episode, by the way. So, Daniel, let's mark our calendars. That'll be a future app. <laughs> this comes from someone um, who, like, my whole life is on the internet, which changes so much all the time. And yeah. one angle here for us personally is I wanted to have interests in a physical business that seemed relatively right. timeless. Um, you know, as someone who earns money from working on Google... It's not going anywhere anytime yeah. soon, but maybe in five or 10 years it will, <laughs> yeah. you know, or it'll be impossible or it'll just be different to the point where my roles no longer exist. I don't know for sure, but this is a little bit of a edge, if you will. Um, People have been taking uh, piano lessons for <clears throat> hundreds of years. How many, how many hundreds of years actually? Well, anyway, we'll come back to that. <laughs> We'd have to go back to the design of the piano forte. Hey, it's Nate again. You know, every year at Brooklyn Music Factory, we get dozens and dozens of great reviews from our families. And you want to know how? Because we ask them. And they're happy to leave a review because of the positive impact that we've made on them. And so now I have a simple ask for you. If this podcast, the 7FMS podcast, was helpful to you, would you mind leaving a review for Daniel and I? And please, share the podcast with another music school owner that you think might benefit. It's one of the best ways that you can support us. We appreciate it.